starting a new series today, and it's not really a new, new series. It's um, a continuation of the one we just finished, which was Let You Be You, and we're going to talk about who we are, because truly, if you're not uniquely who you are, we can't be uniquely, uniquely who we are as a group, as a church. So I've been talking about the need to you being you as an individual, and by that I mean the person that God created you to be, not the person that your flesh tells you that you are, but the person God created you to be. And he had something in mind when he created each and every one of us. So we've been talking about it's important that we know who that is. And so we're also talking about who we are, because we know that a couple of years ago, God spoke to my heart about this church, and he said, I'm going to teach you to fish with a net and not with, a, with bait. And, and the reason he told me that was based on Matthew 13, 47 through 50. And, you know, he called Peter to be fishers of men. And then he said, um, Peter didn't ever think, oh, I'll have a little fishing pole, and I'll put it out there, and I'll have a little hook, and I'm going to fish for trout. No, we don't fish for a specific kind of fish. That's what the church has done that for years. We fish with a dragnet, and we pull up everything into it. And then it says that God and, and Jesus said it, you pull it up onto the shore, and then the angels are going to sort out the good and the bad fish at the end. But we have to minister to whatever's in the net. And we know that whatever's in the net is very different. It's not all the same. You're not going to just catch trout. In fact, one time they drug the net up. It said in one of Jesus' stories, they, they brought up 153 different kinds of fish. Not 153 fish, 153 different kinds. So I'm assuming there's at least that many different kinds of people in this place. And we're all in this net together. So who are we? There's, it says in Matthew 13, there's some of every kind. So you're a kind of fish out there in the net. You've been hooked by the Lord. He's brought you in, into the net. And so over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to find out about some of the fish that are in this net. We're going to find out who we are. Because our charge as a church is to love one another. And if we don't know each other, it's really hard to do that. So we're going to start today uh, in this series with hearing from one of our very own. And uh, it's Charlie Rowe. Come up here, Charlie. So, all right, I'm going to pray over you, Charlie. Thank you for doing this. Some of you don't know Charlie, and the reason you don't know him is because he comes to first service because he doesn't really like crowds, and there's no problem in the first service. <laughs> and there's a lot of people here, right? So pray for him in your heart. So God, I thank you for this man of God, and uh, I pray for him right now, Lord, that you would touch his heart and his mind and let it be clear. I just ask that every word that comes out of him, God, would be straight from your heart. And uh, I thank you for him, and I ask God that you'd bless him. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. First of all, I'd like to say I thank God for his grace and mercy. There's two different, there are two different meanings. Grace, we do not get what we deserve. We all deserve to go to hell, but by his grace, we're saved through faith. His mercy, we get what we do not deserve. God does not make any junk. He's in the recycling business. I have a definition here is 
Metamorphos. Metamorphos is a worm turning into a butterfly. Metamorphos is fully developed. To change into a different physical form, especially by supernatural forms. To change strikingly the appearance of character of. To transform, change, modify, restyle, reconstruct. Perfect example. Genesis 16:12 says, "The son of yours will be a wild man and untamed as a wild donkey. He will rise his fist against everyone, and everyone will, will rise against him. Yes, he will live in hostility against his relatives. This is the beginning of my story. That's how I was. I was full of rage, hate, anger and malice. I hated everybody. And I wanted everybody to hate me. I was adopted at the age of four years old. Then at the age of 12, I ran away from home because I was being sexually and physically abused by my adopted mother. I lived on the streets of L.A., not lower Alabama, but Los Angeles. <laughs> That's when I started to grow my hair long and wearing makeup. I was playing drums and bands in the 80s era, while all the time I continued to go to school and graduated in 1987. At this time, I was feeling a war erupting within me. Something was pulling me from this side, something was pulling me from this side. The wild lifestyle of the bands, drugs, alcohol, and everything that went along with that kind of lifestyle is what I chose. Being pulled towards a career in baseball, I played on a farm team. My dream was to play for the LA Dodgers. I finally got an opportunity of a lifetime to play for the LA Dodgers in 1988. I chose the lifestyle of a musician instead because that's what I was comfortable with. I didn't want to transform, cut my hair, couldn't wear makeup, couldn't dress like this, pitching for the LA Dodgers. During this time, I had three divorces. Or at, no, at this time, I, I had uh, three deaths due, due, due to drug overdoses, once from gunshot wounds from 45s. But God has something else in mind for me. Little did I know at this time. In my late 20s is when I felt God called me to ministry. I became an intern on an Indian reservation. That's when people tried to start trying to conform me into what they thought they felt I should look like and act like. I was totally miserable. Galatians 1.10 Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. It was then I started running from God. I felt like it would be better to be an open sinner than a false saint. I didn't want to be somebody I was not. By this time, I had already been married and divorced 
three times. In 1996, I was about to be sentenced to death row. No one would testify against me. All my charges were dropped. It's amazing how God will shut the mouths of everybody because he had a plan and purpose for me. That's the power of God. In 1997, I moved to Texas with the pastor and his wife. I ended up getting into drugs and alcohol again and got arrested. When I was released, I moved to Amarillo and went to a faith-based program. I graduated a year later. I hated reading, but I had to read the Bible because I was in the program. When I started reading the Bible, I was able to remember everything I had read. I had a photographic memory. I was offered a job on staff as a chaplain, director of men's ministry, a student director, and the program director. Now again, I had to conform to this role of being what other people thought I should look like and act like and dress like. At this time, I got married to a woman that I didn't even like. I, I became very angry, destructive, and started getting tattoos and staying in the tattoo shops constantly, doing things that I knew I shouldn't do. After seven years at this facility, I got into trouble with the law once more, and I had to resign from my job. After that, I got a new job, and again, I, I had to hide who I am. Even in my own home with my fourth wife, she would refuse to go anywhere with me if I did not look like or thought I should look like. She would also tear up all of my 80s era clothing, throw away all my makeup. She, she hated my long hair. She was a very jealous woman. I was married to her for 13 years. 13, number rebellion. Apostasy and Illumin. First Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but God judges the heart. I had turned completely away from God because I felt the calling to ministry meant conforming again. For the following three years after my divorce, I did as I pleased and swore I would never, ever get married again. Little did I know God had other plans for my life once again. The Lord was doing a work in me. I no longer felt the urge to do the things I knew in my heart that was totally against God's will for my life. I finally, for the first time in many years, was able to be myself. Psalms 139.14 I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. In 2016, I met and married my wife, Letha. <clears throat> She asked me the first weekend that we met if I would go to church with her. I told her I didn't go to church. 
Three reasons. I didn't have my makeup with me. I didn't have my 80s clothes with me. And I did not want to be judged by another church. Thank you. I love all of all of you. The following Sunday, I, I came to more church. I finally came to church being who I am. <clears throat> I didn't want to come to church one way, no makeup, regular clothes, and come the next Sunday looking totally out there. This is the first time in my life that I truly felt the presence of God within myself. It was when I came to church being who I was for the first time. But my wife was totally fine with who I am and nothing else mattered what people thought or said about me. Yes, at first I got a few second looks. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was probably called Charlene instead of Charlie, but it's okay. But the people here that got to know me knew who me for who I really was. They loved me for who I am. And they accept me for who I am. I can be myself in church that accepts me for who I am, not for who they can try to conform me to be. Right. Or into what they think I should look like. If they did, they never mention it to me. <laughs> Romans 12.2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If you change the way you think about things, then the things you think about will change. I would rather be hated or looked upon for who I am than loved or liked for who I'm not. Now, this is something we have to really think over here. Think it over. If we as children of God cannot work and worship together while we live in this world, do you really think we can worship together in heaven? If we do not love and respect one another in this life, do you think dying will change how we feel about our brethren? Since heaven is a place where love abounds and is a place of peace, happiness, and purity, do you really think we could live there forever while harboring and grudgingly our dislikes? The sobering fact is this. If we do not love and respect one another to work and worship together in life, we will not have to worry about what heaven will be like. We will not be there.
We, <clears throat> we won't be there. Don't be afraid to be who you are. Be who God called you to be. Be yourself, no matter what people think or what they may say. You be you. Don't try to be somebody you are not. You will never be happy. Trust me. I know. I live my, see, I'm 50, I'll be 51 in August. I live most of my life being who somebody else wanted me to be. Now I can truly live my life comfortably with my wife. Amen. Thank you, Charlie. Honey, will you hand me my Bible? Thank you. Um, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but Charlie and I are not really alike. And uh, I don't have any piercings and I have no tattoos. Um, so how in the world, when God's called us to be a, a, a dragnet church, how in the world can we coexist with people being so different? I mean, how can he respect me as a pastor when I haven't had the experiences that he's had? You know, how, how can I love him completely whenever I, I, don't, I don't get some of the things that have gone on in his life? And the deal is we just make a decision to love one another, to honor one another, to uh, respect one another. I don't look at Charlie and say, man, I can't wait till he does this, this, and this, and then I'm going to like him better. And he can't look at me and say, you know, that guy doesn't know anything of what he's talking about. He had never lived my life. The deal is we respect one another. And it's, it's something we do. It's something we consciously do. You know, if we ever just go by default, uh, it's like what Charlie said. I hated everybody and I wanted everybody to hate me. I think if we were just truthful, um, given our, the way most of us feel in our hearts, uh, if we just trusted our flesh about who we would get along with, we'd only love the people that love us. We'd only be around the people that are just like us. But God calls us to reach the world. And God so loved the world, and that's never changed. He sent his son because Charlie's valuable, and he needs saving just like I do. Amen. And just because he's been through so much that I haven't been through, we need the same Savior because our sin sends us to the same place. So how do we coexist? We just choose to. You know, the saddest thing to me in Charlie's testimony was Every time he would get close to God, every time he wanted to go into ministry, and he has ministry in his heart, he wants to minister. Every time he would do that, and as he would draw close to God, he would feel this pressure to be someone that he's not. It was like, oh, you can't do that, you know, and, and you have to hide those tattoos, or you have to dress a certain way, and you can't talk about that. And it was, it was pressure to conform, and I think that's one of the saddest things I heard in his testimony. Why did Charlie feel that pressure? Every, I mean, he's just trying to walk with God. He's a child of God, just like any of the rest of us are. Why would he feel pressure to conform? Because he doesn't look like we think he should look. Let me show you why I feel he had pressure to conform. Because every religious, I'm not talking about Christian church. I'm not bashing the church. I love the church, and I love Christianity. I am Christian. I believe it through and through. Jesus came to save the world. I do not back up from that at all. But I'll tell you this, every religious institution, every religion, every religious institution has one of these in, inside of it. It's invisible. You walk in the door, you don't see it. You just feel it. 
You just feel it. This is a religious mold. And no matter how hard we try, even in this church, people come in and they feel pressure. And how does that pressure start? It starts by going, I don't feel like I fit in. I don't feel like I'm like these people. I don't dress like them. I don't talk like them. I don't think like them. I mean, you just start this little subtle thing of you just don't fit in here. And then pretty soon it goes all the way to the point where you feel like I'm not good enough. They won't accept me. And because everybody wants to be accepted, and because everybody wants to fit in, and because everyone wants to be accepted for, you know, legitimate, I guess, we submit ourselves to the religious mold. And we, we sit in there and we allow ourselves to be pressed into an image where we look a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way, and then people will deem you okay. In fact, they may even use terminology like this. You have been conformed to the image of Christ. Can I just give you a little bit of a heads up? There's not a mold in this earth or in any religion or in any book or in anybody's theology, there's not a mold out there that will conform you to the image of Christ. Not one. There's nobody that has a corner on the market. The way that you become conformed to the image of Christ is for you to live up to the full potential of who Christ created you to be. That is how you're conformed to the image of Christ because that is exactly what Jesus did. He came, humbled himself, even to the point of death, and he lived a life that was totally what God wanted him to live. That's what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ. It doesn't mean you put on a robe and start walking around saying cool stuff or trying to do miracles. It just says that you dare to be bold enough to live the life that God created you to live, even to the point where it could cost you your life. There's not a mold out there. But people will make you think it. You'll come in and you'll start to feel this. Feel this pressure. Feel it. So we have to resist we have to resist the urge to compel people to be conformed to an image that's not really who they are. And the only way we can do that is by loving people where they're at and accepting them as valuable, integral, important in this body. You know, I can prove to you that there's no religious mold. And I can prove it to you by these short verses that Jesus spoke himself. You know, some people will think there's a religious mold, and I can tell you that Jesus absolutely destroyed that notion. And here's where he did it. He was talking to religious leaders, and they were actually trying to get Jesus, the creator of the universe, the king of kings, the lord of lords, they were trying to get Jesus to get into their mold to be conformed to the image of what they thought was acceptable. He wasn't an acceptable Messiah. He didn't do things right. You need to get in this mold and become what we think you should be. Well, they had already killed John the Baptist. And so Jesus says, wait, guys, I don't, I don't get it. He said, well, John came, John the Baptist came. He didn't, he didn't eat bread. He, he didn't drink alcohol. And you said he had a demon. And now I come along, and I'm eating bread. I'm drinking wine. And you say I'm a, 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 a glutton and a wine bibber. Two completely opposite lifestyles. There's no mold. Because I can tell you with absolute certainty, John the Baptist and Jesus lived the life that God created them to live. They did it to the point of death. And they were absolutely
absolutely 100% different. You know, John could have had the temptation to tell Jesus, Jesus, you really, you know, you don't really need to be drinking that wine and you don't really need to be hanging out with those sinners. Come out here in the desert with me and eat some locusts and, you know, wear some camel skin. And Jesus could have been like, you know, John, look, really lighten up. This is fun over here. This is what I want to do. This is the life I'm choosing to live. And you say, well, which one of them's right? And I'll just say this, both. Mind blow, you know, it's like religious people can't, that, that doesn't work. You can't be different people, they're living two different lifestyles, and both be right. Yeah, you can. You see it right there. Jesus said, I'm living this life the way God wanted me to live it. John's living the life that he wanted him to live, and they were completely different, and they were both exact, acceptable to God. There's no religious mold. It's only you standing accountable for the life that God has given you. You say, well, they can't both be right because if someone's right, someone else has to be wrong. And this is some, one of the biggest fallacies that we have grown up with is that we have this dualistic thought pattern that if something's right, then something has to be wrong. And I just want to say to you that something can be right for you and something can be right for something, someone else and they can be completely different. Because God's that big. I hope I'm making myself clear. I like how C.S. Lewis puts it. You know, I'll just start by saying every person, every one of us has a unique individual walk with God. And your, your walk is different than my walk. And I, I like how C.S. Lewis puts it. He's just brilliant. He says, you know, one of the marks of a certain type of bad man is that he can't give up a thing with himself without wanting everyone else to give it up. You know why? Because we're dualistic. If it's bad for me, it must be bad for you. He said, that's not Christian. That's not the Christian way. An individual Christian may see fit to give up all sorts of things for special reasons. Marriage or meat or beer or the cinema. But the moment he starts saying these things are bad in themselves or looking down his nose at other people who use them, he's taking a wrong turn. He's forcing someone into a mold, a religious mold, that maybe God's not wanting them to walk in. Everybody walks in an individual way before God. Some don't think that's possible. Well, you know, Paul had trouble with this too. Paul was an apostle that started, third, I mean, he, he started, I don't know how many different churches. I almost said a number, and I don't really know how many churches he started. He started a number of churches. And Paul's dilemma was he had strict Jews that were becoming Christians, and he had um, Gentiles that were becoming Christians. He had people that were polytheists, which means they believed in all kinds of Roman gods and Greek gods. They were becoming Christians. And then he had all these people that were philosophers and all these other things. They were becoming Christians. Everybody came in. There were even religious people that came into the church in the first century that part of their religion before they became Christian was to go into church and have relations with temple prostitutes. That was part of their religion. They felt like that was honoring God. They felt like that was something God had called them to do. It was really messed up. So Paul had all this eclectic group, kind of like we do. People all over the place. And Paul was like, how are we going to do this? How we? And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when he wrote the book of Romans, which was really a masterpiece of Christianity from start to finish, he gets into the 14th chapter and he says, we're going to address this thing right now. 
How do you get along? And the Holy Spirit led, leads him to write this. This is my answer to how you get along in church with a bunch of people that have different lifestyles and different things. He said, accept other believers who are weak in faith. Wait, 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 wait. Accept them? Accept them? Just accept Just like that. Yeah, just like that. Accept them. Because we know, because we're a dragnet church, that some of you guys are bad fish and some of y'all are good fish. And I can't tell the difference and neither can you. I know that many of you think you can. You can't. Some of you are weak in faith and some of you are strong. And what's funny is the ones that are weak, they're probably the strongest sometimes. And the ones that think they're so strong in faith, they're probably the weakest. But it doesn't matter. We're to accept each other. Accept each other. That's it. And then and he says this mind blower. Don't argue with them about what they think is right and wrong. What? I thought that's what we were supposed to do. I thought that was the job of the church. We're supposed to argue with people. Tell them they're wrong. That's not the good news. I don't know if you know that. You're wrong. I mean, that's never won anybody to Christ. That's not good news. It doesn't motivate anyone for right behavior. Accept everyone. And don't, don't argue with them about what they think is right and wrong. There's, there's the Holy Spirit's answer to an eclectic group of people that have all different kinds of lifestyles. Well, that doesn't set well with some of you. I know it doesn't. Just don't worry about other people's stuff. You know, whenever we start forcing people to come into a mold, we start forcing people to feel like they have to, to look a certain way or act a certain way or change. Yet let me tell you that there's more people out of church today. There's more people away from God today because they've come away from church with the notion that if they're who they really are, they have to choose between who they are and God. And there's a lot of people like Charlie that said, if I have to be that, I'm not going to be there. And they actually literally walk away from God and walk away from church because they picked up a notion that if you are who you really are, you can't be in church or be right with God. Where'd they get that idea? From a religious mold that we have created in every religious institution anywhere. I don't care what religion it is. It doesn't matter. Religion's religion. It doesn't matter. It all looks the same. Whether it's Christian or Islam or whatever. Conform to this image or we don't deem you acceptable. And God says, God so loved the world that he came and gave his son to purchase every single person on the planet, drag them to shore. My angels will sort them out. They will decide who's good and bad. We're not supposed to clean the fish. We're not supposed to cull the fish. We're supposed to love the fish. Accept those believers that are weak in faith. They're, they're, they're there. There's people that are compromised. They're going to do things. And don't argue with them about what's right and wrong. No reason for you to go straightening people out. He goes on in verse 5. He says, you know, there's one person that esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. I like this. Even in Paul's day, they were arguing about, you know, do we worship on Saturday, the Sabbath? Do we worship on Sunday, the first day of the week? You know, what do we worship on? You know, if you... If you've ever been approached by a Seventh-day Adventist, they make a point that we're worshiping on the wrong day. We should be you know, worshiping on the Sabbath, which is Saturday. And a lot of their points are valid. I think, well, yeah, I mean, it sounds pretty good. I don't, I don't know. But traditionally, churches have 
worshiped on Sunday, which is the day Jesus rose from the dead. So, you know, you worship on the last day or you worship on the first day. And thank God that for hundreds of years they couldn't make up their minds. So now we have a whole weekend off. Isn't that great? <laughs> they did. I mean, they did. They, they worshiped on both days. I mean, why not? Listen, both days are a day of rest, you know. And so instead of working six days a week, which they all did before that, now they just work five. Hallelujah. <laughs> Who's right? Who's right? Is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? Yes. Let every man be fully convinced in his own mind. You have to be convinced in your own mind. You know why? Because you stand personally accountable before God. And it's you. You see, if you were conformed into a religious mold, you can blame the mold. He doesn't want you in the mold. He wants you standing before him, hearing his voice. And he wants you to be convinced in your own mind. He goes on later in the chapter. He says, you may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. Just keep it between yourself and God. I love this. Your freedom's not everybody's freedom. Your lifestyle's not everybody's lifestyle. If you're convinced, fully convinced in your mind that what you're doing is right, hallelujah. In fact, he goes on and says, blessed are you that don't feel guilty for doing something they've decided is right. You're happy, bless you, but keep it between yourself and God. Some people don't drink alcohol. Some people do. Hallelujah. If you have zero conviction about that, more power to you. Just keep it between yourself and God. Don't start trying to rope other people into drinking with you just because they feel like, you know, you're saying, oh, you're holier than thou. You're better than me. You know, you're not. That's baloney. Do whatever you feel like you're right to do, you have a right to do, you're free to do, but don't start roping other people into it. God gives us a tremendous amount of freedom. You know, you may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. You know, I, I have to illustrate this by something I'm kind of embarrassed to say, but I'm just going to say it, and I don't want you to walk out of church because you found out your pastor is human. So, and some of you do, but... You know, I, I'm a Game of Thrones fan. Yeah, I know. Some of you are gasping. I know. Here goes JR's getting up. Sit down, JR. <laughs> Hear me out. I wouldn't watch it for years. I, didn't. I watched the first episode and turned it off two times. I was like, I can't do this. This is too much. It's ridiculous. And I uh, was encouraged to kind of watch it. And so, I, well, no, I wasn't encouraged. It wasn't the reason I did it. It was because I read online that Game of Thrones is the number one TV show of all time. And I thought, what am I missing here? You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to push through and watch the show. So I did. And uh, we watched it and really enjoyed it. We got into the characters, and it wasn't so gratuitous after the first season. But it, um, it was really good. No, yeah, really. <laughs> well, maybe not for you. But, I mean, I, we're different, okay? So anyway, I, I, uh, I watched it, and I enjoyed it. And so, you know, I believe there was nothing wrong with what I was doing. But what happened with me is I found myself talking to other people that had a conviction not to watch it, and I'd go, oh, you ought to, you ought to watch it. Just push through. Watch it. It's great. And I, I mean, one time I was doing that, it was like, slap. I thought, what are you doing? Yeah, you got freedom to do that, but I'm just telling you, keep it between yourself and God. Don't start pushing that on somebody else. You have a personal relationship with God. You're accountable. 
Don't try to talk others into, don't try to talk other people out of their convictions. Just let people be. Some people are going to live like John the Baptist, and some people are going to live like Jesus. Very different, but both can be right at the same time. And neither one, if you notice, they were cousins six months apart, and neither one was badgering the other to change their lifestyle. They just accepted each other for what they were, which is what we're called to do as well. He goes on to say, but if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, and, and you go ahead and eat it, you're sinning. Wow. Now what? He's saying you have a complete freedom to be who God created you to be. You have complete freedom to do a lot of things you can think in your mind are right. You can have absolute certainty. This is right. And then he says, but if you're doing something that you know you don't have 100% faith for, you're sinning when you do it. I'll give you, this is a good rule of thumb. If it feels like sin, it is. Yeah, it is. You know, because God speaks to you personally. That's what he does. People say, they cop out. This is a cop out. Well, God, I've never heard God's voice. Yeah, you have. You have. You want me to tell you how you've heard God's voice? He, he always starts with sin. And so it, how many of you have ever... Okay, let me ask it this way. I ask it backwards the first service. So let me say it this way. How many of you have never felt guilty for doing something wrong? Raise your hand. If you've never had that inner voice that says, that's wrong, you need to stop it right now. Raise your hand if you've never felt that. You know what? He's speaking to you. It always starts there. How do I know that? Because Jesus said that. He said in John 16, he said, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit because I can't stay with you and I can't be with everybody at once. So I'm going to send you my Spirit. He can be with every one of you at once. And his, that, that Spirit, my Spirit, will speak to you about the things that I, I say. What, what things is Jesus saying? He's saying things over you like, you were created for this. This is what you were made for. The Spirit of God comes into each one of us individually, and he begins to speak to us. He said he sent the Spirit to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's a progression. When you first come to know God, the very first thing you hear is you're sinning. That's how you know you need a Savior. He talks to you about your sin. It's a voice. It's a voice inside of you that says, that's not right. Whether it's Game of Thrones or drinking tequila or doing whatever you do, you know in your heart, that's not right for me. I don't care if everybody around me is doing it. I don't care if everybody's watching that show. I feel in my heart it's wrong for me. I'm not going to do it. That's how he talks about our sin. And then it says, he doesn't stop there. The church stops there a lot of times. It doesn't stop there. It's not about sin. It's not about sin. Jesus took our sin. But there are things that are wrong. I like Tanner's definition of sin. He said, when you go someplace to get a satisfaction for something you need, and it's not where God intended for you to go, that's sin. Think about that. That's a great definition of sin. It's always going to the wrong place to have a sat something satisfied in your heart. That's sin. 
And so whenever, you know, he begins to convict us of sin, and then we, we, are, we confess our sins, we receive Jesus as our Savior, and then he says the next thing he does, he convicts you of righteousness. This is where he starts talking to you about what you're supposed to be. Who are you? I knew I was to be a preacher when I was 21. I didn't start being a preacher until I was 45. He started speaking to me in my heart at the most unusual time. And he was convicting my heart of righteousness. I don't even know what it meant. But he was saying, you're made for this. And the conviction of righteousness was to get into the Word, to study the Word, to teach the Word, to be able to know the Word, to be able to, 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 to study to show myself approved for the lifestyle that he was putting inside of me. He convicted me of sin, but it didn't stop there. Now he's convicted me of righteousness. And then we all have this knowing. Every human being, I don't care if you know God or not, the Spirit of God makes sure that you have a knowing that there's a judgment. Everybody knows there a day, there's a day of accountability. Everyone. It's ticking inside of us. We know it. We feel it. You can deny it. You can tell God you don't want to play. You can tell, it doesn't matter. The day is coming. And he says, I came to convict you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And, and that's the Spirit's job. You know, Pastor Lindell, we worked together for, we've probably worked together the whole 20 years, but he's had this job for like 16 of those years. And Lindell has lots of responsibilities. He's the administrator of the church building and all this stuff, and, and his prep deal, prep. I mean, it's a, prep's a huge, huge program he oversees well i'm lindell's pastor his boss his oversight but you know lindell does a good job he really does i i do check things you know from time to time but he does i i never have to go do his job for him you know that i never go to his prep class and go lindell let me take over let me tell you guys how it really i you, you know you know why i don't do that it's because he knows how to do it better than i do and it's his job and he does it good so i just let him do it You know, Chad's the same way at the resource center. You know, Chad, he does a great job. I don't go over there and check, Chad, you, you feeding these people right? I mean, I don't, every time I, I'm his oversight, I ask him questions, I know what's going on. But Chad does a great job. That resource center is there because God's anointed this young man, and, and he's given his life to that. But the Holy Spirit, I have to get involved sometimes because he doesn't do his job very good. You know, Chad and Lindell, they do their job really well. I, I don't have to do their job. But when the Holy Spirit comes, now, there's times that I need to convict you of sin. There's times that I need to convict you of what's right. There's times I need to warn you about judgment. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think the Spirit of God does his job pretty well. Yes, so good. I think we can let God do what he does and trust him to be good at it. Isn't that crazy? That we do that? You're like, God, you don't know how to do your job, so move over and let me take over and tell these people how wrong they are? I tell you, to accept those, to be who they are called to be, it takes, you know, it, to be authentic, authentic, the genuine article. For you to be authentic, it takes courage and strength. Because there's times that a lot of you guys, you're the green fish. Amen. And the pressure is become a goldfish and swim the other way. That's the pressure. And I just want to tell you that you, you may be that goldfish and you may be the green fish. It doesn't matter. Whatever you're created to be, you're only accountable for what that is.
We're not different for different sake. People say, celebrate diversity. We don't. We celebrate individuality because we know if you're an individual, we're going to be diverse. Because that's what makes this beautiful tapestry to me, this church, which is gorgeous. You guys, we're a, we're a mixed bag. Thank God. Amen. Thank God. Y'all are so interesting and so awesome to be around. The key is to be fully convinced that what you're doing in your life is the right thing for you. To be fully convinced. But I know that some of you are not fully convinced. And there are some things in your life that God has been speaking to you about that you know you're violating your conscience. You're violating, you're, you're actually grieving the Spirit of God because He's been convicting you of things that you know are wrong and you've hardened your heart against Him. Yes, I want you to be you. Yes, I want you to be as unique as you're created to be. Yes, I want you to be free. I want you to enjoy your life. But I'll tell you this, God knows what's best. And if he's speaking to your heart, he knows what's best. You may be convinced that you're, what you're doing is right. But make sure you're fully convinced in your mind and in your heart. And don't violate that inner voice. It's a still inner voice of God's spirit. He's speaking to all of us all the time. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to pray for two different groups of people. And I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes because I don't want people looking around and seeing who's raising their hand and who's not. This is about, you know, you individually. I just want to talk to you about if you feel like you're pushing past convictions in your own life, I want to pray for you. I feel, you know, you, there's just things in your heart that you know you're doing that you shouldn't be doing, and God's speaking to you about that right now. I want to pray for you. Would you be bold enough to raise your hand and let me pray for you? Okay. Thank you very much. God, I just pray over these that have their hands raised right now, and I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would give them the strength, strengthen their inner man to let them be able to put down, God, and put aside anything that's in their life and in their heart that they know is contrary to what you want for them. We trust you, Lord. We trust you to do your job in each of, each of these people's lives. We know, God, that you're speaking to them and that you don't use fear and you don't use guilt. You use a gentle conviction and a small voice. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you're so tender with us, that you know we're mere dust, but you do expect us to live the life that you've created us to live. So, God, all of these that are raising their hand about this thing, help get them back on the right road, God so they can begin to walk with you exactly where they need to go. Amen. If you're ministering, come on up. Father, I thank you for this church. I pray for us, Lord. You've, 
you've given us a call to do something that's unique and different. And we thank you, God, for having your hand on us, for protecting us, for providing for us. We know the enemy comes many times to destroy us. And sometimes, God, we're the ones that are helping him to do it. I pray, Lord, that you would protect us, be with us. Let us dare to be bold enough to be the, the church you've created us to be. Let us dare to be bold enough to step out. And if we're called as a church to be like that little green fish and go against the status quo, I pray, Lord, that we would be bold enough and courageous enough to live the life that you have called us to. I thank you for all these that you've brought to us. And I ask God that you would just hold their heart in your hand. Speak to them right now, God. Speak to them in peace so that they know that you're real. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer today, please don't leave without getting it. How do you know if you would need it? You'll feel a conviction. A conviction of righteousness to come up and to get prayed for. Uh, I also encourage you, if you if you're not getting prayer, that um, up here, let's just keep this a prayer zone. And if you want to talk or anything, that's great. Maybe at the back or outside or something, that's awesome. But let's just in this little area up here, let's just keep this a real um, zone of, of prayer up here if we can, uh, so that people can get ministered to. And we just invite you to come up for prayer if you need it. Thank you all for coming today, and have a great afternoon. We love you. See you next week.